There's so much joy and merriment at Christmas time, isn't there? You got the Christmas carols, you got the Christmas lights, the Christmas sweaters, all the Christmas gifts. You know, they say it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And yet for many of us, Christmas time also carries something of a deep underlying ache because there are empty chairs and broken hearts and dashed hopes that you can't escape at Christmas, can you? And despite all of what the fairy tales told us, not all of our dreams have come true. And happily ever afters seem to be cheaply foreign to the lives that we live. And so amidst all the romantic idealism of Christmas cheer, we can't shake the reality of life's shattered, shattered dreams, can we? And I find it helpful uh, to remember that the very first Christmas wasn't brimming with romantic idealism or cheery sentimentality. Oh, there's a lot of hope for sure in the Christmas story, but there's also a lot of heartache too. In fact, it all began with some shattered dreams. Because Mary had a dream for how she thought her life was supposed to go. How she'd grow up and learn from her mother how to take care of a household and one day how she'd catch the eye of some handsome guy and fall deeply in love and have the magical wedding and the perfect little family and make her family proud. And Joseph had a dream of how he thought his life was supposed to go as well. How he'd apprentice with his father to become a carpenter and learn the skills so that he could build a good life for his future family. How one day he'd meet the girl of his dreams and sweep her off, his, off her feet. How they'd get married and build a life and family together and have honor in the community. And everything in their lives was going according to plan. They had met each other, fallen in love, all their dreams were coming true until that very first Christmas, when their lives were upended, when all their plans got canceled and their dreams were shattered. I don't know about you, but I imagine Mary must have been really scared. Here she is, a good girl, trying to do all the right things. She wants to be obedient to God, so she agrees to carry the, the baby Jesus into the world. But she's also in love with Joseph, and he doesn't believe her story. And the look of hurt and betrayal in his eyes. And then when he turned and walked away, devastating. And Joseph had to be crushed. I mean, here he is, a good guy trying to do the right thing. He, and, he, and he doesn't, he finds out Mary's not the girl he thought he knew. He thought she loved him, but apparently not. And the look of hurt and betrayal in her eyes, he didn't have a choice. He had to turn and walk away, devastated. So, so the question is, what do, you, what do you do? We get this story. What do you do when your dreams are, are shattered at Christmas? What do you do? What do you do when your past feels so devastating and your present feels so confusing and your future feels so bewildering? 
Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, or chapter 1, verses 18 down to 25. You'll find today's reading on page 807, 807. Friends, today we're going to get a front row seat to watch Joseph navigate this moment when all of his dreams were shattered at Christmas. And I think we can learn a lot from just watching him do three things, hope in God's redemption, trust in God's wisdom, and rest in God's provision. Hope in God's redemption, trust in God's wisdom, rest in God's provision, because these three things are our way forward as well with our shattered dreams at Christmas. So let's bow our heads, let's pray, and ask the Lord to meet us here. Father, we, we rejoice at Christmas, but there's sorrow too. Father, help us to know what to do with our shattered dreams. Speak life and hope into our stories this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. So first of all, when your dreams are shattered, number one, hope in God's redemption. Hope in God's redemption. Let's just read the first two verses here, Matthew chapter 1, 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And just pause there. Uh, we're not familiar with betrothal periods, but in the first century, this was like um, engagement, but on steroids. It's, it was a little bit more intense, more committed. It lasted usually about a year. Um, during this time, they actually referred to each other as husband and wife. They were legally bound um, and committed to one another. Um, and during this time, the husband went out and prepared a home, a homestead, a place to live for the new family. And, um, and the, uh, the bride's family and everybody's working on this, this wedding, um, which, you know, they pulled together. And then they, uh, they actually get married, okay? So here, this is the season of betrothal. And it is during this period when Mary becomes pregnant. Uh, Luke tells us in his gospel that Mary came and, uh, or that an angel came to Mary rather, and uh, gave an, uh, an announcement of what God intended to do. And Mary said very courageously, Luke uh, chapter one, verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So from Luke, we also learn that uh, once Mary agrees to this plan, she immediately goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is also having her own miraculous child in old age. Uh, she lives down south, and Mary goes to be with her and spends about three months there. Eventually, she comes back to uh, the north, to Galilee, and she returns home. And it is then, I think, that Joseph learns that his betrothed wife is with child. And he knows it's not his baby, and he knows she's been a long way away for a long time. And I imagine that he must have felt really jilted and angry and betrayed and sucker punched. 
And she probably pleaded with him to believe her with broken-hearted sobs. And this scene is devastatingly shattering. Now, because Joseph takes God's law seriously, because he's a righteous man, uh, and at the same time doesn't want to dishonor Mary any more than she already has been, he decides that a quiet divorce is the best way uh, forward. That way Mary can salvage what dignity she has left. She can move in with her parents, uh, raise the child. This will be the plan. And then he can go on with his life with dignity and honor and maybe marry someone else. Uh, He's trying to make the best of a really messy situation. Now, as readers, (laughs) we just want to grab Joseph and shake him, you know, and say, don't do this. Don't abandon Mary. This is, she's telling the truth. This is Jesus we're talking about. God can redeem this, Joseph. Don't give up. And in fact, Matthew has already laid the groundwork. He's been preparing his readers to find hope in the very messiest of moments. If you think back to last week, there's a couple things we didn't draw out last time uh, that are really important. In the genealogy that Matthew gave us of Jesus, um, Matthew has deliberately highlighted four women in addition to Mary. They are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and what he calls the wife of Uriah, which we know to be Bathsheba. Um, And there's scandal and messiness around each of these women's stories. Tamar, uh, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that she uh, seduced her deadbeat father-in-law who refused to provide her with a kinsman redeemer. And her son Perez is in the line of Messiah. Rahab was a prostitute who came to fear the living God. And her son, Boaz, is in the line of Messiah. Ruth had a scandalous date with Boaz on the threshing floor that had to be hushed up. And her son, Obed, is in the line of Messiah. And Bathsheba, whose name is missing here, but even the fact that it's missing draws even more attention to the fact that she's here. Uh, She was the object of King David's adulterous abuse of power. And her son Solomon is in the line of Messiah. Now, why would Matthew go out of his way to highlight these four stories, these four scandalous moments in the lineage of Jesus? Well, I think he's reminding us that God's redemption comes through messes, that God's redemption comes through messes. And Mary's story is a bit of a mess, isn't it? An unwed mother, an unplanned pregnancy, a scandal in Galilee. And of course, all of this is from God, but people will talk. And Matthew's saying, look, I don't want you to to see the messiness of Mary's story and let that throw you off. God's redemption has come through far messier stories. The line of Messiah has scandal written all through it. And God specializes in messiness. It's where his redemption begins. In fact, everything God does begins just like this. Creation starts with what? Chaos. Light is spoken into the darkness. Humanity is formed from the dust. Beauty rises from ashes. Resurrections come after crucifixions. And redemption comes from messes. 
When God wants to save the world, friends, he starts with an irretrievable mess and brings his redemptive hope. Isn't that beautiful? So the takeaway for Joseph and for us is give God your mess. Give God your mess. Joseph, if you will just give me your mess, the Lord says, all that has gone so terribly wrong, all that you wish you could go back and undo, but you can't, all your past that seems so devastating, if you will give your mess to me, you have no idea how beautiful my redemption will be. And friends, God's inviting you as well to give him your mess. All that's gone so terribly wrong in your life, all that you wish you could go back and undo but can't, all your past that seems so devastating, God says, if you will give me your mess, you have no idea how beautiful my redemption can be. Amen? So when your hopes, when your dreams are shattered, hope in God's redemption. When your dreams are shattered, hope in God's redemption. That's our first point. Secondly, second thing is trust in God's wisdom. Trust in God's wisdom. Joseph here is resolved to end this betrothal and step away, but he decides he should sleep on it. Thank God. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So just in the nick of time, at the right moment, God sends an angel in a dream to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What, what was he afraid of? What would he have been afraid of? He, he's afraid that he can't trust her. He's afraid that he'll never be enough for her. He's afraid that he'll, he'll be made a fool. He's afraid his honor will be compromised. He's afraid all of everything he hoped is lost. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, Joseph. The baby is from the Holy Spirit. This is miraculous, it's supernatural, and oh, by the way, it's a boy. You don't have to go have a gender reveal party. It's a boy. She will bear a son, and you, you, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, your part in this story is not over. You are going to name him. You're going to name this baby boy. You can't leave. Mary needs you now more than ever, and Jesus needs you more than you know. And then Matthew, our narrator, steps back and he shows us all of this, every bit of it, is bringing God's plan into reality. This is exactly what God had foretold uh, through the prophet Isaiah 600 years ago in Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So you have two names given for Jesus in this passage. The first one is Jesus, Yeshua. Uh, also, we would, we would translate that Joshua. It means the Lord saves. This is Jesus' personal name. And then his prophetic name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, this is no ordinary baby, Joseph. The Savior is coming. He will be God incarnate, Messiah, the Christ. So Joseph, if you're considering what you're supposed to do in this scenario, stop leaning on your own understanding and start listening to the wisdom of God because God's guidance comes through his word, doesn't it? God's guidance comes through his word, here delivered through the voice of an angel and through the inspiration of the scriptures, God is leading Joseph. Joseph had a choice, friends, to trust in his own wisdom and instincts or trust in the wisdom of God. And when your dreams are shattered and your present feels really confusing, it's easy to lose your bearings, isn't it? to get caught up in emotion and anxiety and in impulsiveness. And in moments like this, the takeaway for Joseph and for us is this, give God your trust. Give God your trust. God says, Joseph, if you will give me your trust, if you will follow my lead, even though it's hard, in a present that seems so confusing to you, if you will give your trust to me, if you will listen to me, I will guide you. I will be with you every step of the way. I will be enough. And friends, Jesus, God is inviting you to give, him, to give him your trust too. He says, if you'll follow my lead, even though it's hard, if in your present that seems so confusing, if you will give your trust to me, if you will listen to me, I will guide you, and I will be with you every step of the way, and it's going to be okay. Oh, you probably won't get an angelic voice, but you have the living Word of God, and it will lead you true. So when your dreams are shattered, hope in God's redemption trust in God's wisdom, and thirdly, rest in God's provision. Rest in God's provision. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I love the simplicity of this. No hesitation, no drama, just simply he did as the angel commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He waited to be with her until after Jesus was born. And then he called Jesus' name, Jesus. And that last sentence is huge. He called his name, Jesus. Do you, do you realize what that means, that sentence? Naming was the father's prerogative. The father named the child. Joseph is taking the official role of father in relationship to Jesus here. Not only does he take Mary as his wife, he takes Jesus as his own son. By naming Jesus, Joseph is functionally adopting Jesus as his very own son and legal heir, 
which is huge because the genealogy Matthew gave us last time runs through the line of male heirs from Abraham to David to the exile to the Christ. But up until this last sentence in verse 25, none of that genealogy matters because Jesus isn't Joseph's biological child. He's not his legal heir, not yet. He's Mary's son, but the royal line is on David's side, which is why this last sentence in verse 25 is such a big deal. Joseph called his name Jesus, and in doing so embraces his role as father, taking Jesus as his son and legal heir, which means that Jesus is the rightful king after all. He is in David's line because of what Joseph did right here. This is huge. And just think of what this cost him. Think about it. In taking the pregnant Mary to be his wife, so she's got a baby bump when they get married, right? And naming Jesus as his own son as soon as he's born, for the rest of his life, what do people think about Joseph? They would have assumed this was his baby that he and Mary messed around, and this is a desperate attempt to cover up their indiscretion. Joseph obeyed, knowing that his obedience meant that his reputation was tarnished and soiled for the rest of his life. In an honor and shame community, this is a big deal. We get echoes of it. Even in John chapter 8, verse 41, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and they get mad at Jesus and they spit this back at him. They say, well, we're not illegitimate children. They'd heard the rumors. They were rubbing it in Jesus' face. We know where you came from. The rumors had run rampant. Now, no doubt, facing all of these uncertainties, all of these unknowns, with the the shame that was no doubt going to come his way. I'm sure Joseph wondered how it would all play, play out. I mean, he was giving up all kinds of options, wasn't he? He married Mary, and that meant he couldn't go marry someone else. What if, right? In adopting Jesus as his own son, he tethers his life, his future, his destiny to this unknown child. There's so much he might have worried about. So much of his future felt unknown, and yet Joseph knew he he had to obey and leave the rest in God's hands. This was not the life he dreamed of, but it was the life that God called him to. And as he surrendered to the call of God on his life, he found peace, didn't he? He found peace because God's peace comes through surrender. God's peace comes through surrender. Friends, isn't that always the case? That when we hold on to our dreams and our plans and all the outcomes we want to see happen, all we get is anxiety and stress and worry in life. But when we let go, when we surrender to God and say, like Jesus did, not my will but yours be done, that is the way to the peace that passes all understanding. So the takeaway for Joseph and for us is give God your unknowns. Give God your unknowns. Joseph, if you will give me your unknowns, if you will let go of the outcomes that you can't control, 
if you will give me your future that feels so bewildering, if you'll give these unknowns to me, I will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding, and I promise, even now, I will work all things together for your good and my glory. Come, rest in my provision. I will be enough for you. And friends, God's inviting you as well to give him your unknowns. If you will let go of the outcomes you can't control, if you will give your future that seems so bewildering to him, if you'll give your unknowns to him, he says, I will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding, and I promise even now I will work all things together for your good and my glory. Come rest in my provision, and I will be enough for you. I will be enough for you. Now, aren't you grateful for Joseph's heroic obedience, his sacrificial service here, his familial loyalty? Aren't you grateful for what he did? Because all of this, don't you see, it made way for the true and greater one to come, the hero who would obey the Father in every way perfectly and live a life we could never live for the servant who would sacrifice his life on the cross when he died in our place and for our sake, for the loyal one who gave us rights to become children of God by faith in him so that we might be adopted by the Father who pledged his line and loyalty to us forever. What Joseph did set the table for a true and greater Joseph, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who would be every ounce as courageous as Joseph and then take it to the next level for you and for me. And if God could take Joseph's shattered dreams and do all of that, just imagine what he can do with your dreams that have fallen to pieces. A few years ago, one of our kids, when, they, when she was little, experienced these things called night terrors. I don't know if some of you know what those are. It's, it's like sleepwalking, but bad dreams. And she would come in with eyes open, flailing and freaking out, panicking. And we, we'd try to talk to her. We couldn't reason with her. She wasn't actually awake. Um, we didn't know what to do. And we learned to just hold her until they passed. She would flail and panic and we would just hold her tight. And we would say things like, it's okay. I've got you. I'm here. It's, you're safe. I'm with you. It's gonna be okay. And then slowly it would fade. She'd come out of it. She would relax and finally fall asleep in peace in, in our arms. And I, I've often thought, what a beautiful picture of what our Heavenly Father does for us. When we have terrors, shattered dreams, when we're feeling panicked and flailing and freaking out, and He just holds us and says, it's okay. I've got you. I'm here. You're safe. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. I will never leave you 
No, I will never forsake you. I am with you always until the very end of the age. Isn't that who he is? So what do you do when your dreams are shattered? When your past feels devastating, hope in God's redemption? When your present seems confusing, trust in God's wisdom? And when your future feels bewildering, rest in God's provision. Friends, because if God's got us, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that no matter what we face in life, that you are with us, that you are for us, that you never leave us, that we can count on you. Father, our lives deviate from the plan we made all the time. And there's sadness to that. There's grief to that. It's real. We don't want to skate over that. And yet we also want to hope and trust in your redemptive love. That there's never a moment when we are too far gone. There's never a moment where hope is lost. There's never a moment where the pain will become final. For you are a redeeming, restoring, and beautiful future-writing God. You take all of our mess and you bring glorious redemption. So Father, we give you our lives, our past, present, and future. Take us, lead us, be with us. We entrust ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen.